Welcome to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with the friends of the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get the articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday, and this week, Amanda Goki returns. Welcome back. Hi, AJ. Thanks for having me. So the ongoing story for the last few months has been the congressional mapping, and it is, we talked about it three weeks ago, we're talking about it again today because it's been just back and forth between Governor Sununu's office and what the the uh, legislature what wants to do. I mean, what, where does it currently sit? Yeah, absolutely. So earlier this week on Monday, Governor Sununu's proposal got a public hearing in front of the House Special um, Redistricting Committee. Um, and on Wednesday, they were scheduled to vote on that map. But essentially what they the House Republicans did was they came back with a map of their own um, that they voted to advance instead of Sununu's proposal. So the map that they ended up moving forward was drawn by uh, Representative Ross Berry. He is a Republican from Manchester um, and Sununu pretty shortly after that map was released on Monday, Sununu came out with a statement um, expressing some criticism of that map and basically saying, this isn't the finish line and we haven't um, reached our goal yet. Um, So that kind of indicates that this map might run into some trouble down down the road. Um, But on Wednesday, the House committee was uh, undeterred by that, uh, by Sununu's comments, and they decided to, to move forward with this map. Uh, regardless. I mean, is there a way ultimately that if there's enough support from the legislature, they can bypass the veto in this with uh, the maps? That's correct. So they would have to have a two thirds majority vote to override the veto. But based on what committee Democrats were saying um, about this version of the map, um, it didn't seem that there would be bipartisan support for it. So they would need Democratic votes to reach that threshold and overturn a veto. As a political junkie that likes seeing chaos, it's kind of crazy that it seems like both this map that uh, was just proposed, as well as the one Sununu has pushed forward, will cause issues for uh, Custer and Papas. That's right. And that's something that Uh, Many people have pointed out that under this latest map that the House approved, they would both live in the same district. And so it's not there's no rule against running for a district where you don't live, but it does kind of open you up to some political liability, especially because it's it's going to be one one of these districts is going to be very Republican, it seems like. And they're actually both in the district that leans Republican currently. That's the first district. So in um, Barry's map, it's it's the I-93 corridor. That's kind of what people have been referring to this map after. That was something that uh, Representative Barry said was important to him was to kind of group the communities of, you know, we've got Concord and, and Manchester um, are in that first district. So it, it encompasses both of um, both of those representatives live live there. Have the Democrats proposed much of anything aside from saying they're not happy about it? They have. Yeah. So that's a great question. And they on Wednesday did put forward an amendment um, that was their version of the map, which they would like to see move forward. It's basically the same map as we have now, but it moves one town from one district to the other to account for population change. Um, And they're sort of that's that's an important distinction, I would say, that uh, came out on Wednesday. Democrats are really arguing for 
incremental small changes. They want to basically preserve the map as it is, but just adjust for the way that, you know, the population has changed. Um, and Republicans like Representative Barry are saying they want to start with a, a fresh slate. They want to kind of build something new from scratch um, with no regard to the previous map. Yeah, I, I mean... It looks like there's still going to be a long uh, journey here before we finally come to any sort of solution that uh, both uh, the legislature and Sununu are, will be happy. That's right. Um, we do have a little bit of a sense on the timeline of all of this with uh, the June deadline for candidates to file. They need to know which districts they're going to be running in. So they have to have districts established um, by that point in June. Um, and there is a court you know, there's a lawsuit that was brought forward on these congressional district maps. So there's a court process as well. Um, so if it, 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 there is a possible scenario in which the legislative process doesn't reach the, the finish line and the court ends up drawing the map. And right now, if I'm looking at what I believe is the current map, I mean, it's moving the districts around a fair amount. Like the what do you call it? The I-93 congressional map is completely moving the um, what is it? The what district is going to be on along I-93? What was it going to be? Uh, well, so second, one way the second screen. So the first would be along I-93, and that would be completely moving away from the the main border, which is pretty considerable. That's right. It, the Seacoast region would be in uh, the second congressional district in this map. And, you know, another way to think about this is that it would move 73 towns from one district to another, and that's about 460,000 people. So that's a, a sizable chunk of New Hampshire's population would, would you know, if you were formerly in one district, you would find yourself in another district. Um, so Democrats have said that would create confusion for people in terms of constituent services and things like that. And that's another critique that they have of, of this approach. Um, so let's move over to something that I, I was really surprised to hear exists <laughs> is um, the Senate rejecting a lobster licenses for recreational scuba divers. Like I didn't know this was a thing as, as uh, born and raised up in Maine, you always hear about co the commercial lobstering that happens off the coast of Maine it is like a, a huge economic uh, impact for the state. And I never really heard much about people going off on their own doing it recreationally, especially scuba divers. Yeah, and apparently this is a perennial issue, so it's not the first time it's come before the House, and there's very sort of heated opposition on this one. It sounds like the two camps are are not really willing to budge in either direction, so that was sort of why they ended up making the, the vote that they did today, which was um, to ITL or to, to kill this this um, proposal. But there's divers in the state that would that say, you know, having this sort of license would allow them to access a natural resource um, that they should be able to to access and you have the commercial uh, lobster industry on the other side arguing that this would really harm their their businesses and they're concerned about environmental degradation they're concerned that it would hurt the lobster population and and habitat um, so both sides were pretty pretty firm in their in their positions um, but it did eventually get get voted down and you know i should say people in the state who want to get lobsters go fishing for lobsters um, 
they can they can get a permit to do that, but they have to do it with traps. So it's like the the method for uh, trapping the lobsters is is obviously different. Um, so that was why they were they were taking this one to a vote today. And it basically puts them independent fisher uh, or recreational fishermen wanting to do it will do it the same way basically that commercial fishermen do it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, some of the divers have said, you know, they don't necessarily, they might live, for example, two hours away from the coast. So having a trap, you have to sort of be there and maintain it and check on it regularly. That might not be feasible for them. So that was why they were pushing for the uh, scuba diving option. Is scuba diving for lobsters a thing in other states around New England? Do you know? Um, I I believe that it is, but I don't know off the top of my head um, where exactly it is allowed and where it's not allowed. So that would be something to look into for for future reporting on this because it's an interesting question. This is terrifying. It, 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 the the currents and such you get off the, the coast the coast of uh, New England. I mean, you're always warned up and down just swimming for fun off the off the coast. Like, be careful of the current. If you feel the current going, you get back to the shore right away. It's like, no. Instead, I'm gonna I'm just gonna just dive in and ways out where maybe you can see the coast and and poke around with a stick to to find where lobsters are. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think fishermen were concerned too, like that it would create issues with scuba divers kind of messing with their traps, like enticing them into their traps. Um, and they say, you know, it's really expensive for them to maintain. They put a lot of money and resources into making sure that the stock is, is you know, adequately cared for and that things are um, being done sustainably. And so they're they're concerned that this would really disrupt that. Um, the fish and game department also, uh, testified in opposition to this bill. They said it would be impossible for them to enforce it, um, to make sure that people were, you know, using these licenses appropriately and, and that there were no violations. And it's a pretty fragile ecosystem when it comes to lobstering. Like it's, there was concerns a few years back that the populations were getting, uh, diminished. Hmm. Yeah. And so the Gulf of Maine, you know, this was something that came up today in the um, in the Senate on the Senate floor as well. So the Gulf of Maine, um, Senate, Senator Waters, who's um, he's from Dover. So he's over in the seacoast area. He, he was saying that right now the, the lobster populations in the Gulf of Maine are steady, but there's some concerns about um, future generations and that that might be a problem in terms of how the young are doing and um, where they're settling. So um, it's not something that's an acute problem right now, but I know, as you're saying, there's there's concerns with preserving it to ensure that in the future um, there's no issues down the road. Yeah, because it, it, it takes it takes years to rebuild a population of uh, sea creatures like that, and if one one year of overharvesting can mess it up for a few years after that, so it, well, we want to worry about scuba divers at least outside of the New Hampshire coast looking for lobsters. Uh, let, let's move over to you wrote an article um, actually was released today on April twenty uh, eighth here about uh, it looks like. Uh, New Hampshire dealing with Ukrainian immigrant migrants, or I'm sorry, refugees coming in to the state and resources. And uh, it was really an interesting article. Can you um, uh, dive into that? Yeah, absolutely. So basically this started, um, you know, I think with the war in Ukraine, people in New Hampshire have obviously been 
reacting to that and thinking about aid efforts, but it's a, a particular personal significance to people who have ties to to Ukraine, to the country. And um, so I went and I, I visited a church, a Catholic church in, in Manchester on Palm Sunday. Um, and I got a chance to, to get to know a little bit better what the Ukrainian community in New Hampshire is like. It wasn't some like a community that I was super familiar with beforehand. And I think that was, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the most visible community, but because of the conflict, I think a lot of attention has been placed on, on them and they've been doing a lot of grassroots organizing this church was collecting food donations they were they had granola bars and spam and they were also collecting over-the-counter drugs just kind of the basic necessities um, that people over in ukraine need right now and don't necessarily have have access to um, and so there's sort of this all of this organizing is is going on um, while they're really awaiting to hear what what will happen as far as New Hampshire receiving um, refugees through the refugee program. The Biden administration announced that the U.S. would accept 100,000 Ukrainian refugees as a result of this conflict. Um, but so far, that resettlement effort has been really slow moving. Um, so the two refugee agencies that I reached out to said they're they're kind of expecting at any at any moment now to to hear that about more solid plans and details about the numbers of refugees that we might receive in New Hampshire, when they might be coming. Um, but for right now, we don't really know what to uh, what to expect moving forward. They do prioritize um, in that process matching people where they have family ties. Um, so, you know, obviously imagine you're going to a totally new place. You don't know the country or maybe the language. Um, so they try to really match people with where they have family members and a community that they can have that extra support. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge help. Like, like we both have spoken with the International Institute in New England with regards to this, uh, with Afghan refugees also is when I specifically spoke to them about it. Uh, but in fact, with their... Um, their office manager is actually Ukrainian uh, immigrant also, and she's trying to get her mother over here. Yeah, that's right. That was a really interesting story. This woman, her name's Katerina Kelly. She's been in New Hampshire for four years, um, and she came here. She had she had met her husband, and he's originally from Maine, actually, and they settled in, in New Hampshire together. Um, and she started the process of trying to bring her mom over here before the war broke out. Um, but then once the war did start, it became a little more uh, acute that she wanted to it was more the daughter who was concerned about the mom and the mom, she described her mom as being like very reluctant to leave her home. And that I should say that as well. Like that's something I've heard consistently from people in the community and from the resettlement agencies is that Ukrainians are, a lot of them are kind of staying close to the, they maybe have left the country, but they don't want to leave Europe because they want, they're waiting for the war to end and they want to go home. So they're not so much looking to, to want to move to the U S and, and make their life here forever, um, while some may do that, of course, but um, it seems that the vast majority are, are looking for ways to return home and, and just hoping that the, the conflict ends um, ends before too long. Yeah, because yeah, it's a different situation from the Afghanistan withdrawal where 
it was decided, like, we we knew what was going to be happening with Afghanistan. Like, the U.S. was going to be withdrawing all of its troops, so there wasn't going to be that security presence there and that economic presence that previously existed. And with Ukraine, it's still, it's still in progress. Like, there were something like, oh, good God, it's in the teens for millions of people that had, no, it's like 100 million people, I thought, had evacuated Ukraine to, to the neighboring countries. And I haven't heard much about them really going much further than that uh, at all. They they are the war is still in progress. Zelensky is still uh, goes back and forth between optimistic and making contingency plans. Um, but I, I, these are hard people in Eastern Europe. They've seen conflict on and off for generations since the Soviets, and it's not really surprising to see that. I think the distinction between Afghanistan and Ukraine is an interesting one. It was something that I asked Henry Harris. He's a caseworker at the International Institute of New England. And he said for him, the the, the distinction that he drew was in in Afghanistan, the the government there was no more government. Right. Um and versus in Ukraine, we've seen the government has is still there, they're still fighting, they're still intact. Um, so it is a significantly different situation in, in terms of how people are perceiving it and, and how they're acting in response. With the United States taking in up to 100,000 refugees, I mean, is there a prediction New Hampshire will be taking in a, some volume at all? It's a hard it's hard to know. It seems that from from both of the um, resettlement agencies, they are anticipating that they'll be receiving um, Ukrainians soon. And they expect to know. I mean, um, uh, I heard from Accentria Care Alliance, they were expecting to hear as early as as this week um, about the numbers and the timeline. Um, But you know, there's also some some doubt about whether we'll actually reach that number of 100,000 just in terms of it's a very slow process. It's a very bureaucratic process. It takes a long time for people to make their way through that refugee program. Um, and so people have actually been entering the country through some have visas, but they've been entering of sort of of their own accord through the the border with Mexico. Um, And that's been an easier way for them to, and a faster way for them to to get in. Um, You know, for that means that they don't necessarily, they don't have access to uh, some of the aid that people have when they come through the refugee program. Um, But there's been at least one family um, who has ended up in in New Hampshire that took, possibly took that route um, to get here. Amanda Goki, a reporter over the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, AJ. So if you if you don't check out nhtalkradio.com, here's a reason for you to do it. I'm If you go there at the top of the page, this episode is available on demand as a podcast, so you can check it out. I'm also linking to the specific articles that we talk about with these New Hampshire Bulletin interviews that we do every week here on WKXL in the morning. So be sure to go over to nhtalkradio.com. Most likely, if you're listening to this show, Friday morning, it's going to be the top article right at the top of the page. You'll be able to click through the articles and check them out. Also, be sure to follow New Hampshire Bulletin on Facebook and Twitter, just like you do NH Talk Radio. It really helps everyone here at the station and all of our friends at other media outlets in the state. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. We'll be right back after this.